0: We're continuing on in our series in Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're at chapter 3, so if you want to follow it in the Bibles, there should be a blue Bible in the chair in front of you. It's on page 1194. We're starting with Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yesterday, we were up in rural Nottinghamshire, visiting some friends, and we we hired a car to get up there, and we were driving down these kind of small country lanes, and uh, they were barely wide enough for two cars to pass one another, yet the locals used to these roads were absolutely hurtling down, and every time we passed one, it was like this act of faith. Are we going to make it through? I was in a higher car, I had no idea the width of the car, it was not a comfortable experience, but every time, we just about managed to make it through. Then came the lorries. And did they slow down? No, they did not. I think we passed three or four. But as the first lorry was hurtling towards us, I was suddenly transported back in my mind to 10 years ago, to my driving lessons. And I could hear my driving instructor saying to me, if you don't want to hit the lorry, don't look at the lorry. If you don't want to hit the hedge, don't look at the hedge. Look at the gap. Keep looking straight ahead. Look at where you want to go. It seems counterintuitive, but if you look at the thing that you don't want to hit, you're kind of like, oh, and you start to veer off towards it. If you look at the lorry, you're going to veer into the lorry. If you look at the hedge, you're going to veer into the hedge. So I needed to keep my eyes on the gap. Thankfully, I remembered this just in time. I looked to where we needed to go, and we made it through and lived to tell the tale. The first thing that Paul urges us to do is to set our hearts and minds on things above. In verse 1 he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Well, there are things in our life that we want to change. It's so easy for our attention to be on the negative, for our eyes to be on the thing that we want to stop being. But Paul here is saying that we should set our hearts and minds on things above. If we study and pick apart our failures all the time, we, we begin kind of beating, up, beating ourselves up and holding ourselves back. Even this week, I've, I've been feeling a bit under pressure. It's been really busy at work, loads going on. My head has just been full of all the stuff going on there. And because of that, I let a couple of balls drop in other areas of life. Um, and when I realized this, I was kicking myself. Uh, how did I let these balls drop? Um, and for a couple of days, I was just carrying this disappointment with myself. I was beating myself up over it. But then I was going over my notes for this morning, and I was like, oh, this is, this is me. This is for me. Um, just like in those country lanes, I was spending my time looking at the lorry. I was spending my time looking at the hedge. I was focusing my attention on exactly what I didn't want to be rather than looking ahead at what I do want to be. Instead, I needed to fix my mind on things above. And as I set my eyes on Jesus again in those areas, I knew again where I wanted to go, and I could draw on his strength to get me there. When I fixed my eyes back on him, I had clear vision again of what I can be, and I received his forgiveness, his grace kind of releasing me to go forward again. I was restored to that place of peace, And I had clear vision to move forward. But there's something bigger going on. This morning, we've dived straight in at the start of chapter three, but over the last few weeks, we've looked at the sections that come before this. Paul has spent the first half of his letter to the Colossians telling them who they are, he's been telling them who they are in Christ. He's told them these things, that God, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That in him, God has made himself knowable to us. He's told them that Jesus is mighty and powerful over all. That whatever situation we find ourselves in today, whatever worries we have, whatever storm is going on in our lives, Jesus is powerful over it all. He's told us that through Jesus... The world was reconciled to God. The slate has been wiped clean. We are forgiven and we can return to personal relationship with God. He's told us these things about Jesus, but then he's telling us the implications for our own identity. He says to the Colossians, they can have hope, that they have hope stored up in heaven, that they can bear good fruit in their lives, that God has rescued them from darkness and brought them into the kingdom of his son whom he loves that they have redemption and forgiveness, that all that condemns them has been totally dealt with, that they're free from human rules and regulations and instead need only to seek Christ. I hope this is ringing some bells. This is what we've been talking about over the weeks before. The key here to understanding um, what Paul is trying to say is that the instructions he's giving us sit in this context that he's already laid out for us. He's not telling us to set our hearts and minds on things above as a a task for us to change our own lives. He's urging us to do it because we've already been changed. And when we see Jesus, we remember that the life we're chasing after is already ours. All of this um, is our new identity. We've already been reconciled to God. We've already been forgiven. We've already been made new. Now... We're just learning to live in that truth. So this is why he begins this section with these words. He says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. His instruction to lift up our eyes is not some empty hope, looking at where we would like to be but can never attain. Instead, because of their new identity in Jesus, because they have been changed, therefore they can set their hearts and minds on him with a certain hope. A certain hope that they are being transformed, that they are being made new into Christ-likeness in line with their new identity. God sees them like he sees Jesus. When we set our hearts and minds on the things above, we are reminded and affirmed in our new identity in Christ. Rather than being held back by failures and regrets about what we've done, we can look up at where we want to go. Rather than veering off, distracted by our shortcomings and the things that we want to avoid, Paul urges us to set our minds and set our hearts on things above so we can keep stepping into that life that is already ours. So the first thing Paul asks of us is to set our hearts and minds on things above. The second thing that he asks of us is to take off our old clothes. Rhiannon and I had um, a big clear out of our wardrobe the other day, Um, it had got to the point where basically if everything was clean at once it wouldn't all fit in the wardrobe and I personally didn't need any more of a deterrent to kind of avoid doing the washing, Um, so it was time for a clear out. So we set about clearing out our clothes and it turns out we had bags, two massive bags worth of clothes in there that we just simply don't wear anymore. And it's not that these clothes have gone out of fashion, it's not that there's anything wrong with them, it's just that we never actually choose to wear them. And as we sorted through these clothes, it started to become clear that the reason we don't wear these clothes anymore is because they just don't reflect who we are anymore. They just don't really feel right, they're just not the clothes that we want to wear. We still have clothes in there from long before we got married, Um, and we got married five years ago now. Life has moved on, we've changed. Um, And many of the clothes that we wore then just simply aren't us anymore. When we come to Christ, our status before God changes. We're given our new identity. And so Paul, speaking to the Colossians, acknowledges that their identity has changed overnight. But he also acknowledges that the way they're living might take a little bit longer to catch up. Paul is urging the Colossians to take off their old ill-fitting clothes. He's saying the way that you're choosing to live is inconsistent with your new identity. And and it's not so much a criticism as a pep talk. He says, come on, you're missing out on all of the benefits of your new identity. He says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And verse 8, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Paul is highlighting the difference between who they are and what they do. The old self is gone. They now have new identity in Jesus. But now they need to put away those things that belong to the old identity. The change has happened. Why would they want to continue living in the old? Over the last five years, Rhiannon and I have changed. We've become different people in many respects. And so some of our clothes just weren't right for us anymore. How much more, when we receive that utterly life-transforming change in our identity that comes with putting our faith in Jesus, how much more should we expect there to be clothes that just aren't fitting for us anymore? And I'm not talking about physical clothes. These are the clothes of our um, actions. This is the way that we live, the way that we treat others. It's It's what people see when they look at us. Paul is saying these ways of living, they just don't fit you anymore. They're not fitting with your new identity. Stop wearing them, Paul says, because they don't reflect the reality of who you are. When we're used to living in fear, it can take time for us to lower our guard down. When we've been living feeling ashamed of who we are, it can take time to remove the mask that we've become so accustomed to to be holding up where we've been trapped by the hurt done to us, it can take time to forgive and to live in the peace that God has given us. But like layers of bandages being peeled back, as we set our minds on Christ, we're affirmed in our identity and the Holy Spirit helps us to remove those old clothes of our former ways. Set your minds on Christ and as you understand your new identity, you won't want to wear those clothes anymore. We've all got those old, comfortable clothes that we like to wear around the house, the kind of old tracksuit trousers. This morning, I was wearing the hoodie from my old gap year nine years ago. Um, they're comfortable, but you wouldn't choose to wear them at any sort of occasion. You wouldn't wear your tracksuit to your wedding day. These, these old clothes, these old ways which belong to our old lives, they can be comfortable, but they're not fit for Purpose. We need to take off our old clothes, get rid of our old ways, because we have this new life in Jesus. So to step into this life that is already ours, we must set our hearts and minds on things above and take off these ill-fitting clothes of our old lives. Having encouraged us to take off our old clothes, the third thing that Paul urges us to do is to put on our new clothes. And this is what he's saying here in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together." In perfect unity. Again, he starts with our identity. We are God's chosen people. We're, we're wholly set apart. Um, we are dearly loved. This is your identity. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you have been chosen God. You've been set apart for good works, and you are dearly loved by him. So, therefore, because of this, he says, clothe yourselves with these good things clothe yourselves with these things that reflect your true identity compassion kindness humility gentleness patience forgive one another and above all love one another the clothing that paul is talking about is not some random collection of virtues that he's plucked out of the air these are jesus's characteristics he's saying we've been made like jesus now let's live like jesus the word christian literally means little Christs. Um, We've been made in God's image. In Jesus, he's restored that image in us, even where it's been distorted by things um, in the past. And now we can witness to Jesus. We can bear his image to the world. As we put on these clothes, we image Christ to the world. When they see us, they see Jesus. We become his hands and feet in the world. And what does this world need more than anything else? Jesus. All that's wrong in this world, it can be made right by Jesus. That difficult family situation that you're facing can be healed by Jesus. Uncertainty in our politics, our nation needs Jesus. Our friends who haven't experienced the freedom and hope that we found in him, they need Jesus. What better for this world than an army of little Jesuses reflecting his character, his nature, pointing to him in every sphere of society. Imagine the transformation that we can bring as people who reflect Jesus' identity, Jesus' character to this world. So Paul urges us to clothe ourselves in these things. But this is not done in our own strength. We're stepping into the life that is already ours As we set our hearts and minds on God, as we seek Him in the quiet place, we find the One who is all of these things, and we're clothed in them, ready to reflect Him in the world. So, what does this look like in practice? As someone who's ordained in the Church of England, I have the privilege of being able to conduct wedding, marriage ceremonies. And last weekend, I had the joy of conducting my first wedding. Um, And it was such an honor to play a part in that significant moment for this couple. And when they each arrived that day, they were two separate people. Um, Two different families, two different upbringings, two different groups of school friends, um, two totally different lives. But when they left, they were joined as one. Suddenly, they were one new family with one new shared set of friends, the beginnings of one new life together. There was a huge identity change for them, hinging upon that moment. They can no longer operate alone, but are now joined together with one another. They've had a huge identity change, but really, practically, this couple have no idea what is to come. They don't know what it's like to be married. Nikki and Silla's marriage preparation course will have been a huge help to get them ready, but the truth is they're just gonna have to work it out as they go. They've simply never done it before. Paul has told us all about our new identity in Christ. And he is urging us to set our hearts and minds on things above. To take off our old clothes, the things that aren't fitting for our new life. And to put on our new clothes, these things that reflect Jesus. But just like a newly married couple, we've had the identity change immediately. The old is gone and the new has come. But we're working out what it really means to live in this new identity. So we have a choice to make. We have this new life in Christ. Now, do you want to continue in your old ways? Or do you want to step into the life that is already yours? It's definitely a choice that we each need to make for ourselves. But the good news is this, that we are not choosing to strive and fight to live a life that is worthy of our, our new identity. Instead, the change has already happened. Jesus has done the hard bit. Now all we're doing is making the choice to go with the tide rather than fighting against it. We're choosing to go with the work of the Spirit in our lives and to step into the life that is already ours. Just like a married couple, the, choice, uh, the, the change has happened and now we have the choice to fight against it or to embrace it. To live wholeheartedly in that new life. We also need to note that Paul isn't addressing individuals here. He's speaking to the Colossian church as a community. In verse 13, he tells them to bear with one another, in verse 16, he encourages them to teach and admonish one another. This passage is a challenge for us as a church, as a community. We have this new identity. We are chosen, set apart by God, dearly loved by Him. But we're all working out what it is to put off our former ways and to put on our new ways. We're all working out how to step into this new life that's already ours. One of the most transforming things for me has been inviting um, other friends, Christians, to speak into my life. Um, One summer while I was at college, I asked a few of my friends um, if we could meet up every morning um, and pray together and share with one another, Um, and it has been utterly transformational. Um, We prayed together, and we gave one another permission to ask the awkward questions, um, to to speak into one another's lives and challenge one another in in love, calling each other to account. We still meet regularly and pray together and share with one another what's going on and to have friends who love me are keeping an eye on me um, and aren't afraid to challenge me when my attention is starting to drift off Jesus in some area or another they they've kept me on track they save me from getting distracted and encourage me to keep pressing forward with god they encourage me to keep stepping into the life that's already mine When we speak with one another on a Sunday, when we see one another in our connect groups, when we're serving alongside one another at the homeless shelter, let's remember that we already have this new identity. Every member of Jesus' church worldwide has this new identity. But also remember that none of us are 100% living in it. Our response, as Paul says in verse 16, is to encourage one another, to spur one another on, Let's commit to encouraging one another, to helping one another set our hearts and minds on things above, to encourage one another, help one another to to take off our former ways, helping one another to clothe ourselves in the things of our new life. But let's also challenge one another. Let's call one another to account. I, I encourage you, in your connect group or with close Christian friends, Give them permission to speak into your life. Ask them in love to encourage you and to challenge you, to highlight to you those areas where you've still got room to grow. As we invite those around us to speak into our lives, we'll be encouraged afresh to set our hearts and minds on things above, to throw off our old clothes and to put on the new. And think about the potential of this. As we are clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, this is going to make a significant difference at home, at work, in school, in university. But it's also going to make a difference here. As you are transformed, those around you here will be transformed. As each of us is transformed, we'll see the whole church transformed. And when the church, the whole church, is living in its true identity, we can see this world transformed. So let's help one another set our hearts and minds on things above and step into the life that's already ours. I'm Bear Grylls. My favourite way to start the day, the Bible in One Year. That's how wild I am. Find out more at bibleinoneyear.org or download the Bible in One Year app.